sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to our number two of a Wednesday live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, channel 159. That is the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz network, that is SportsGrid, and I am Ben Stevens. Plenty to get to here all across the sports world in our number two. It's the final tournament of the regular season on the PGA Tour. We'll look at the Wyndham Championship and why it is significant before the FedEx Cup postseason begins. The Women's World Cup about to come to a close in group play. A couple of stutters today down under in the groups that set up the knockout round. Of course, we will continue looking around Major League Baseball. And then from there, football is just one day away. Canton, Ohio, the site of the Hall of Fame game between the Browns and the Jets. Joe Lisi joins us here to end out our number two so we start on the pga tour sedgefield country club is the site in north carolina for the Wyndham championship again it is the final pga tour regular season event of the year the last chance for players in this field to get all the fedex cup playoff points they can to reach the playoffs in golf That is what is at stake this weekend. So some of the biggest names in the sport who are pretty comfortable with how their year has already gone, they're not in action at Sedgefield for the Wyndham Championship, except one of the more recognizable names in the world of golf that we'll detail in just a moment, who has struggled all year long. There you see the outright odds for the Wyndham Championship. Hideki Matsuyama is the favorite at 18 to 1. Pretty long prices for all the guys in this field. There's not that tier of three that we've seen through major championships or the elevated events on tour this year. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler. This is not that designated event on the PGA Tour, but it is important because it is the regular season finale. So, Siwoo Kim, the second best price at 20 to run, alongside Russell Henley, 20 to 1 as well. The reigning champion, Tom Kim, you don't see his price there, nor. Do you see probably the most recognizable name and face in the field this week, Justin Thomas? He was just past that 10th best price of Aaron Rye, Shane Lowry, and Adam Scott. It's a 40-1 to number on JT. The reason we highlight Justin Thomas, who you'll see when we look at the top 20 odds with a plus 190 price to finish with one of the 20 best scores over four rounds at Sedgefield Country Club this week in North Carolina is because... JT currently is 79th in the FedEx Cup standings. JT is not only playing for more FedEx Cup points to better position himself for the playoffs on the PGA Tour, but also Ryder Cup points. That comes at the end of next month, the end of September, into the first couple of days of October out in Rome. Of course, it is the United States against Europe. If it were going to end today, I do not believe Justin Thomas would be a member of the U.S. team based on points, maybe positioning himself for a captain's pick. Zach Thomas is the 
Captain Zach Johnson, excuse me, is the captain for the United States in this 2023 Ryder Cup. So let's look at the favorites in their Group A betting odds this week at the Wyndham Championship. Russell Henley, a plus 220 price alongside Hideki Matsuyama, who is booked as the favorite. Sung J M plus 230, and Sam Burns, one of the young and talented players on the tour, a plus 340 number. Quickly, we welcome in our Sports Grid radio audience here. Hour number two of a Wednesday, live on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM, channel 159. All of our radio terrestrial affiliates now in the mix as well. I am Ben Stevens. So those were the favorites this week at the Wyndham Championship, the regular season finale on the PGA Tour. Next week, the FedEx Cup playoffs begin. So this week, guys that are on the brink or trying to better position themselves for the postseason on the PGA Tour, trying to add up a couple extra points to either make it in to the field for the playoffs or just have a better spot when the postseason begins. That includes Justin Thomas, who currently entering the week at Sedgefield for the Wyndham Championship sits 79th in the FedEx Cup standings. He is also playing for Ryder Cup points. It's been a disappointing year for Justin Thomas. He talked about it following the Open Championship, where he posted his second consecutive score in the 80s, following what he did at LACC in the U.S. Open as well. Golf is a game played between here, up between the eyebrows, as they say, on a very short track. A mental game indeed, and Justin Thomas has been open and transparent that he's losing a little bit of that confidence. And once that confidence is gone, it's hard to regain it. But for JT to win Group B, a plus 340 number right now. For Justin Thomas, Siwoo Kim, who has the second best price to win the tournament overall, alongside Denny McCarthy and Shane Lowry. A big moment on the PGA Tour yesterday as well. Of course, Tiger Woods is not going to be in this field. We are not going to see Tiger Woods on the golf course again for quite some time. But he did join the PGA Tour policy board yesterday. He is the most influential member in the entire world of golf, regardless of what level it is played. It was a big moment for the players who have now secured a majority on that PGA Tour policy board. Of course, this is all in the wake of the expected merger of the PGA Tour with Live Golf, mainly the Saudi Arabian government's public investment fund. Tiger will always move the needle. So having Tiger on the PGA Tour policy board is a big moment for the tour to make sure the player's voice is heard in this new age of golf that is expected here very soon. More on the morning after. Up next, we continue to look at the Women's World Cup down under in 2023 here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. One more day of group play action down under the 2023 Women's World Cup before we get to the knockout round, otherwise known as the round of 16. Welcome back to a Wednesday, live right here on the morning after. Action Network's Anthony DeBundo joins us here. He's been with us as we previewed every moment, every stage of this Women's World Cup so far. He is here now as we will break down what has been going on with the United States Women's National Team. They did advance 
to the round of 16, but what the outlook looks like now for the Americans as we get to the knockout stage. And Anthony, this all follows a wild morning at the World Cup. Jamaica a stunner. They earn a draw with Brazil, sending the Brazilians home. Jamaica on to the round of 16 for the first time in their Women's World Cup history. And South Africa pulls off the huge upset over Italy, scoring in stoppage time late after the 90th minute to send South Africa to the knockout round in the Italians' home. So, Anthony, all part of the excitement and the drama we see at the end of the group play at the Women's World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. The United States certainly has not brought much excitement uh, thus far, but two very competitive matches with the Netherlands and Portugal. But, yeah, you talked about it. Jamaica, one of three teams to not concede a goal in the group stage, holding France and Brazil scoreless, uh, conceded 45 shots, no goals. So definitely some good fortune, but a great story for them to get through, uh, starting five college players and one high schooler. So the Jamaicans, a very young team uh, and a very fun one. And, and you know, their spirit's been impressive. Uh, South Africa uh, overnight getting that late win, knocking out my Italians, which is unfortunate. Uh, and yeah, Portugal mm. also impressed. I mean, they, they were 8-1 to one to advance yeah. and they hit the post in stoppage time. So it's been a lot of drama. France, seven points, two wins in Group F, the winners of that group heading in to the knockout round. You mentioned the Portuguese, impressive, and we're nearly a couple of inches away from sending the two-time defending Women's World Cup champions, the United States, home and themselves into the knockout round. But the post stood tall for the Americans, a nil-nil scoreless draw in their final group play match a draw against the netherlands as well and a rematch of the 2019 world cup final only a three nothing victory over the vietnamese in the u.s's opener anthony as you told us they were a six goal favorite so they finished second for just the second time in their world cup history unable to win the group they were over a three dollar favorite to do that pre-tournament so anthony as you look at the united states women's national team how would you sum up their time in the women's world cup so far I think, uh, you know, we talked about this team before the tournament and I had expressed concern about their tactics and about their plan in the final third. And I think that's been the biggest weakness. They've been defensively elite. They've conceded one shot on target plus one post uh, in 270 plus minutes. Uh, They've only conceded nine shots for the entire tournament. This has been an elite defense. They really haven't faced a ton of pressure on their own goal, but we've seen this time and time again against the Netherlands and Portugal, two teams who put an extra player in the midfield two teams who the United States was happy to let have an extra player in the midfield because they believed that when they won the ball, uh, their attacking talent would you know, turn those high turnovers into high-quality chances. really has not happened. The United States has really struggled to create consistent chances. Uh, they've looked sloppy in the final third. Alex Morgan has been a step off the pace. Sophia Smith had a great first game, um, but she really struggled with the double teams that Portugal was throwing at her. Trinity Rodman was very ineffective against the Dutch. Uh, and so this, this group of young attackers... Uh, that the United States is kind of relying on here without Mallory Swanson and with Alex Morgan being you know, past her prime, uh, it's really not come to fruition. And I think that's going to be the biggest problem for this team uh, because they really don't look like they have a plan. And I don't know that they're going to have one in this match either. Now that Rose Lavelle is suspended against Sweden because of yellow cards, mm. most of the attack was Lavelle dribbling through the entire defense in the last game. So uh, that's a big issue for the United States. 
Anthony, you told us pre-tournament it was vital for the Americans to win Group E because their draw in the round of 16 and through the rest of the tourney was going to be so much easier than if for some reason they finished in second and most likely had a matchup with Sweden in the knockout stage. The Americans are the top team in the FIFA women's rankings. Sweden is number three in the world. It is no easy test for Team USA moving forward. But they did qualify, as you see, a heavy favorite to do that, minus 7,000 to get to the round of 16. So, Anthony, knowing the draw, what is the outlook now for Team USA? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot tougher. Uh, First of all, you know, Japan uh, being as good as they were in the group stage, probably the most impressive team just based on the the three games played. Uh, They are now waiting in a potential quarterfinal. The winner, they'll play the winner of that or Norway, if they're able to even get past Sweden, uh, which I think they're going to have a trouble with uh, personally. And I've already bet um, Sweden plus a half. The, the market open, United States minus 110, 115 on the money line. Uh, I think it's a little mm-hmm. bit high. Uh, and so I did take the Swedes. I think it's a very competitive match. Remember, Sweden is the team uh, that beat them at the Olympics 3-0 in 2021 and kind of was the first alarm bell to the, okay, the United States women's national team might not be what we thought they were and what they had been in the past. Mm. Uh, and really, I think that's what's kicked off kind of this, I don't want to say run of regression, but in a sense that, you know, the losses and the friendlies to Spain and Germany um, going out of the of the Olympics to Canada, uh, you know, just inconsistent results. And we saw that in this tournament as well. So uh, Sweden has played the United States a ton. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of talent that plays at the top teams in Europe. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. And, and like I said, if they win, you know, Norway or Japan will not be easy in the quarters. And then a potential meeting with Spain or a rematch with the Dutch in the potential semifinal. But you can see it in the odds there. I mean, they were plus 125 to make the final. Now they're plus 220 to make the final. So the odds have gone against them. And that's really a result of that much tougher path. The Netherlands is playing South Africa. And I don't want to you know disrespect the South Africans. They've had a great tournament. But the United States would have been heavy, heavy favorites uh, considering that they're, they're ranked actually lower than Portugal in, in most market ratings. So it would have been a huge advantage to play them and, and kind of get that game under your belt. Uh, but now, I mean, it's going to be a very difficult match when, you know, the U.S. is going to be uh, the smallest favorite they've been in any match this tournament. They're better than the Dutch, the Swedes. So yeah. uh, it'll be a tough one. Every price from here on out. Now for the team, USA has grown longer for their run, trying to win three straight Women's World Cup titles. Anthony, of course, the Americans were the pre-tournament favorites, a plus 240 number. That is no longer the case. Team USA, the second best price plus 430 as the knockout stage is about to begin behind England by nearly a dollar. Anthony, as you look at the title odds outright right now, who is your favorite to win the 2023 Women's World Cup? Well, England has moved into the role as the favorite because of uh, the draw. You know, the Jamaicans getting through means that Jamaica will uh, play most likely Colombia in the round of 16, and England will play Nigeria, and that will be the pod. So you have Nigeria, you have Jamaica, you have Colombia, three teams that don't really have any big-time experience going deep in in the international level. Um, So England will be now heavily favored to make it to the semifinal. Uh, Not saying Nigeria can't give them a game, but like I said, they've been so dominant. Uh, Their form has been excellent, great defensively. Uh, England's going to be tough to beat in terms of getting to the semifinal. Uh, My title pick is going to be whoever wins France-Germany. France and Germany are on a round of 16 collision Mm. course. Um, I had hoped they'd be on opposite sides of the draw. Um, that, that was my original prediction for who would you know make the finals of this tournament. Uh, and now they're going to play in the round of 16. Just bad luck with the draw for my betting purposes. Uh, but that's going to be my pick. Whoever, whoever gets through that match, I think France and Germany 
are both very live uh, and have both looked pretty good in the group stage. Germany got stunned in the late goal, but they were the better side against Colombia and uh, two, you know, dominant goal scorers and Diani and, and Pop. So uh, I, I like both of those teams. I think whoever wins that uh, is probably the favorite to play England in the semis. So that will be yeah. a, a tricky one for sure. The Germans right now, the fifth best price or fourth best number, actually, at plus 700 to win the title outright. They are a hefty favorite, minus 600 for their final group play match against South Korea in the early morning hours tomorrow on a Thursday. Anthony, it's interesting to look at the Golden Boot Award winner odds now because six of the eight leading scorers following group play action weren't listed pre-tournament but when Japan had a plus 11 goal differential and was dominant in group play action that's why you see some of those names at the top Anthony DeBundo from Action Network getting us ready for the round of 16 at the 2023 Women's World Cup Anthony thank you for your time as always thank you for having me of course now we go back to the Major League Baseball Diamond on the day following deadline day up next on the morning after sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com the day following deadline day in major league baseball rosters around the bigs are now set for the stretch run of 162 games that is a marathon around MLB arm Layton from just baseball media joins us live right here on this Wednesday on TMA to recap everything we saw yesterday and what it means now for the rest of the regular season in the hunt for October arm thank you very much have you got some good sleep my friend following deadline day yesterday in the bigs yeah you know the, the good news was that it cuts off at you know five six o'clock yesterday so Finally, actually was able to sleep last night. The, the other couple of days, it felt like the GMs just get on the phone, right? When you're about to get uh, get into bed there, right? At like midnight, the GMs love to start cooking. So it was nice to have the buzzer in the late afternoon, evening. So after 6 p.m. Eastern time yesterday for that deadline, the dust has now settled. But right before it, Arm, a couple of hours prior to the deadline, the marquee move we expected But we got Justin Verlander traded from the New York Mets, a reunion now in Houston with the Astros, where he spent the previous five years. Of course, two World Series and two American League Cy Young Awards as well. Arm, we anticipated the Mets would shop Justin Verlander. He lands back in H-Town. What is your reaction to the marquee move yesterday on deadline day? I mean, I thought the Astros made out like you know made out really well there because they wanted to keep Verlander all along. It just you weren't going to outbid Steve Cohen for you know what Verlander was going to get offered, and ultimately they had to you know go their separate ways. Now they get Verlander back, and half of his contract effectively is is covered. I think that's a win of all wins for the Astros. Yes, you had to part with your first round pick, but that was a late first round pick that you kind of stole. Uh, that was a guy in Drew Gilbert that I think a lot of people were you know, surprised that not a lot of teams were in on. And all of a sudden now it had looked like a steal in that draft. They also did well with some other picks. So I don't think they're you know losing sleep as much about it. And then Ryan Clifford's a good prospect. But again, you're parting with two prospects that are solid. It's good for the Mets. But on the flip side, the Astros, how many arms were moved at this deadline that that are one controllable and two actually a potential frontline option? I know Verlander's been a subdued version of himself, but last six starts, sub-2 ERA. He's back to where he won the Cy Young most recently. 
I think this is a perfect situation. And you look at the arms that were moved at the deadline. Dylan Cease would have been the only guy that would have bucked that trend. Verlander is the best arm that was available. They get him, and they get him for more than just this year. Nobody was going to outbid Uncle Steve this winter in the Major League Baseball offseason. But good news for the Strohs, Uncle Steve is going to cover 35 of the remaining $58 million owed to Justin Verlander under his contract at the end of next year in 2024. And Verlander, after a shaky and injured start in New York, Aram, has been really good as of late. He's won his last three starts. He's got a 6-5 and five mark this year with an ERA just above three, but he's only allowed seven earned in his last seven starts. He returns to the place in Houston. He won the American League Cy Young Award last year at the tender age of 39. And last year, a Major League Baseball best, 18 wins, and the best ERA in the bigs as well, a 175 mark. So you mentioned Verlander was the best arm on the market. Arm, as you look at the rest of the moves made on deadline day around MLB yesterday, what do you think was the best deal? Yeah, yesterday was a, is a, was an interesting one because I felt like a lot of the you know, the bigger shoes kind of dropped a little bit earlier. But just even lo- looking at the, the trades that are up on the screen there, I got to look at what the Marlins did, and and yes, like in a vacuum, did they, they give up a lot? You know, maybe for guys that you know aren't your superstar bats, sure. But the Marlins just blew a game yesterday because they were up one zero in the ninth and couldn't hold on. Ironically, with their other deadline acquisition, David Robertson, but they yeah. left the bases loaded twice. The offense, you look at the back half of that that lineup, it's not good. So you had a Josh Bell who, you know, was an all-star last year as a career, you know, 114 WRC plus. Like that's a guy that you think is going to kind of normalize to an above average hitter. And then Jake Berger has been one of the best power bats in the league. Like we'll see if it sustains, yeah. but in terms of just hitting home runs, I mean, he's up there with anybody. I, I think that's one of those situations where, you know, you just got to feel good that you added some power and you know, the Marlins pitching, they, we know they've got that. So I, I appreciate Kim Ang getting creative and not only helping their team yeah. for this year, but also helping it for next year because both of those guys are under contract for 2024 and Berger beyond. Miami has lost two straight in the two opening games against their divisional foes in the Phils to start off this midweek series. And because of it, the Fish now a game back of the third and final National League wildcard spot, but very much in contention for a postseason position this year in MLB. It's interesting, Arm, not only looking at the players that were on the move and dealt at the deadline, but who didn't go? Of course, as the Angels have figured out their footing now, Shohei Otani, as we learned a couple of days back, staying in Anaheim at least through the conclusion of 2023. The Padres have figured something out they're only two games below 500 they keep Blake Snell they keep Josh Hader and they even added at the deadline as well Dylan Cease like you mentioned Aram was not moving in the weird situation in the Motor City with Eduardo Rodriguez invoking his no trade clause because he didn't want to go play for the Dodgers out on the west coast Aram when you look at those lack of moves or maybe some teams that really didn't invest at the deadline what do you think was the most surprising part of yesterday yeah, I, I would say Erod not getting moved. You know, I had been pounding the table for Dylan Cease to get moved. And in this market, you know, the, the, the White Sox could have got a franchise-altering haul with multiple years of control. Again, look at what Verlander got you. I, Cease is even cheaper, younger. Uh, it, it would have been one of those situations where they could have got a haul. They ultimately wait. But Erod, I mean, look, I know that the, the, the veto, you know, really probably threw a wrench in the plans, you know, for, for the Tigers. But – He's probably going to opt out and leave in free agency for nothing. 
Yeah. I, they should have had to pivot. They could have figured something out real quick on a dime or had a backup plan just in case. I thought that was a mistake by the Tigers there because now he's likely going to opt out of that contract. And now you're not even going to get anything to show for one of the best pitchers that was available on the market. I think that's the biggest surprise because the Padres, like, I'm not shocked that A.J. Preller thinks that he, they can win uh, and that ownership yeah. doesn't want to give it up. And Otani, you know, you're not trading a once-in-a-lifetime player if, if you think you have a 1% chance of keeping him. Erod was the one that really, really shocked me because I'm like, you might have nothing to show for him and you're in full rebuild mode. So I want to talk about a specific team here, obviously close to us up in the Bronx in New York. The Yankees, very inactive yesterday. A questionable deadline day, adding a couple of rental relievers. They have now lost three straight games, have the pinstripes, and they are just 6-10 since the All-Star break. Arm, what did you make of what the Yankees did or maybe didn't do yesterday at the deadline? I thought it. I thought it was very weird. Um, yeah, especially because like if you're going to make any moves to go get the relievers, is funny because that's like the one part of their team that's been performing. Uh, I think direction is important. They've got a good farm system. They've got some talent. They've got rentals as well. Like, what is a couple months of Harrison Bader going to do for you? Uh, well, I, that was one that I'm just like, okay, you don't think your team is good enough to add, but you're not going to subtract some of those rentals. You could have got a, de- a decent piece or two prospect-wise for a rental Harrison Bader, for a couple of the other pieces. Glaber Torres is playing really well. They could have probably got a haul for him. I was surprised to not see them even subtract from some of those relievers. It's such a volatile spot in the bullpen. The Yankees have continued to develop talent there. You could plug new guys in. I, I thought it was a lot of uh, almost just like being gun-shy from-, from Brian Cashman, afraid to go one way or the other. And that might, you know, set them up for a little bit more of the purgatory next year because you can't just fix it all in free agency and the trades might not always be there in the offseason. I thought Cashman was kind of taking that for granted. And, you know, we'll see how he'll be able to kind of get out of this underachieving roster and retool in the offseason. The pinstripes still in the cellar of the American League East. They're now three and a half games back of a wild card spot in the American League. Garrett Cole is the American League frontrunner for the Cy Young Award. And the Yankees are a slight favorite at home today against the Rays. Tampa has gone into the Bronx the last two days, scored five runs, and picked up two consecutive wins. And Shane McClanahan gets the start for Tampa today up in Yankee Stadium. Arm, what's the approach now for both of these teams that the second or post-deadline is now settled and they are focusing on the postseason? Yeah, you know, I think it's two different energies here. The Yankees, they get Aaron Judge back. They're still relatively, you know, a talented team. They probably feel like they could make a push, but when your front office doesn't give you that same level of confidence, I don't think you'd go into the post-deadline, you know, games feeling, you know, jazzed up. The Rays, like, they were relatively quiet, but they still made some additions. They're, they're in it to win it. And I think the Rays have a lot more uh, to play for at this point. And I think we're going to see that in this series of two teams that don't really like each other. I think you're going to see a little bit more, you know, behind the Rays uh, with more belief that they can actually make some noise. Yeah, the Yankees have lost three straight. Do not forget that right now, despite being booked as the home favorite. Tampa 9-16 and 16 in the month of July and now into the second day of August, but they won a weekend series against the Astros. They've already picked up two straight against the pinstripes. We mentioned Shohei Otani. He's staying put in Anaheim. The rubber match, day baseball in Atlanta between the Braves and the Angels. Atlanta booked as a home favorite today. Spencer Strider was sensational yesterday for the Braves to even up this series. Arum, Shohei is in Anaheim. 
What do you expect out of the Angels now following the deadline? I think they're going to put up a good fight. Look, do I think they're going to make the playoffs? I'm not sure, but they've been playing the Braves tough in the series. I think that this is going to be a close game here. And, uh, you know, they're getting guys back. Brandon Drury is going to be back. Neto has been a big addition for them off the IL. They've gone and made those trades. Are are they game-breaking trades? No, but they help, uh, you know, to get a CJ Crone, to get a Randall Grichuk. uh, Hopefully they get, you know, Logan Ohapi back soon. I thought that they've done a pretty good job. They fortified the bullpen. They're going to give it their best shot, and that Mike Trout guy can probably help if he comes back in a couple weeks. The Halos 11-6 and six since the All-Star break, but still three games back of a wild-card spot in the AL. Aram Layton, sensational as always. We appreciate your time. Back to the football gridiron up next year on the morning app. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All is back. In fact, football returns tomorrow. The first football game of the year in 2023 in Canton, Ohio. The NFL preseason kicks off. It's the Hall of Fame game between the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. So one day away from football, who better to join us here to end out a Wednesday on the morning after than the mastermind of the pigskin, Joe Lisi, here on this Wednesday on TMA. Lisi guy, as the best of the best would say, this is what it's all about. Oh, football is back, right? And in 23 more days, Ben, we get obviously the week zero of college football with Navy and Notre Dame. So there's nothing better than this time of the year from August straight through February. We're going to be talking pigskin, and it starts this Thursday with the Hall of Fame game with two AFC teams that are potential dark horses for a playoff appearance and more importantly, maybe deep shots for a Super Bowl. Training camp has begun in a large way all around the National Football League. Camp underway for everybody now. All 32 NFL organizations for a full week, longer for the Jets and the Browns. New York has been in camp now for nearly two weeks. Fall camp underway in college football. College football will be played in this month of August with a ton of conference realignment rumors swirling at the moment as well. But, Lisi, let's focus on the Hall of Fame game. Tomorrow night, In Canton, Ohio, 8 p.m. Eastern time, the kickoff between the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. The Jets right now booked as a slight one-and-a-half-point favorite in a total that makes my heart sing as Big Ten Ben. 33 and a hook between Gang Green and the Cleveland Browns. No, Lisi, we're not going to see Deshaun Watson in his second year at the helm of this Browns offense. No, we are not going to see Aaron Rodgers make his debut in a New York Jets uniform. In fact, it will be Zach Wilson getting the start for the Jets. Kellen Mond, the veteran now on the other side for the Cleveland Browns in front of their rookie QB, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, out of UCLA. So, Lisi, you look at the spread, you look at the total. How do you feel about football being back tomorrow? Oh, I love it, but I'm taking the Browns and I'm taking them on the money line because of DTR potentially to get in that ball game and the mobility of Kellen Mond, right? So we have BYU and Texas A&M squaring off with Zach Wilson and Mond, you know, the starting quarterbacks, but it's going to come down to the second and third teamers, especially when you look at the mobility of DTR. Didn't end his college career in a, a big way. They lose to Pittsburgh in the Sun Bowl through an interception in that matchup. So at the end of the day, 
I think DTR can be a quarterback in this league, potentially as a backup. And when you look at the flip side for the New York Jets, Strebler's on that roster as well. He's a gamer, but yeah. give me the Cleveland Browns and give me the over. I'm going to go, I'm going to bump oh. the trend and go over the 33 and a half. That's disrespectful. Frankly, I, I find it, it offensive that you think there would be offense tomorrow in the Hall of Fame game. We'll <laughs> dive into the trends tomorrow as we fully preview the game, but 33 and a half is the total. You must take the under and sweat it out to get the feelings back for football. Lisa, guys, we evaluate these two teams overall. Of course, the expectation is sky high like the skyscrapers in New York City for Gang Green this year. It was an interesting weekend in the greater New Jersey, New York area as Dalvin Cook was here meeting with the Jets brass. By all reports, the meetings went very well, but of course, no contract has been offered between the two sides. Lisa Guy, if they add Dalvin Cook, that being the New York Jets, to pair in an offense alongside Aaron Rodgers, of course, as Brees Hall looks to return healthy after a sensational first half of his rookie year for New York last season we have Garrett Wilson of course as a member of that offense as well so many talented pieces offensively would adding Dalvin Cook Lisey guy to this New York Jets offense change your outlook overall for game green in 2023 no I still think they go under the number but Dalvin Cook I still think has tread on the tire right we talk about four straight thousand yard seasons four and a half yards per carry and now to pair him with former Iowa State running back Brees Hall that got hurt last year, it's a dynamic duo. Much like Aaron Rodgers had in Green Bay with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, the dynamic one-two punch, but his ability to catch the football out of the backfield as a safety blanket for Aaron Rodgers I think is key, but long-term view and long-term outlook still hinges on the schedule. I think people are not looking deep enough in terms of the, the first seven or eight games to the New York Jets. I mean, the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Dolphins. That is not an easy part of the schedule, and I think they have the ability yeah. to start potentially 1-6 and six as opposed to 6-1, to and one. so we'll see how it plays out. The Jets a slight home underdog in MetLife on a Monday night to end out week number one against the Buffalo Bills. Hello, Aaron Rodgers. Welcome to New Jersey. Might Dalvin Cook be out there? Our mock odds makers back in the lab. It would seem right now, Lisey Guy, the New York Jets are the front runner, and pretty substantially so, to land Dalvin Cook for 2023. But other AFC East teams certainly in the fold as well. Lisa, you laid it out for New York. It's really the story for all of the AFC. It is expected to be a highly competitive conference this year. In fact, maybe even considered a gauntlet. The Chiefs are the favorites, plus 350. They're a dollar in front of the Bills, plus 450. The Bengals have moved back slightly. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but still the third best number at plus 550. The Ravens up a tad at 9 to 1, and there the Jets are rounding out the top 5 at 10 to 1. Lisa guy, the AFC is going to be highly competitive this year. Where do you think the value might be? Well, I think the value is in the area of potentially the Chargers, Dolphins, Jags, and Browns, right? I think those are the teams where you find value. You know how I feel about Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. How deep is that injury with the camp? I can't bet them right now a plus 550. I do have concerns with Lamar Jackson and the passing attack. Even though the weapons are there, I need to see the continuity. But I go to those four teams that I mentioned. 
the health of Tua, because I think they're going to have one of the most explosive offenses with Tyreek Hill and obviously Jalen yep. Waddle. You now add Devon Achain into in terms of that matchup, and that offense is a third down back. He could be like Dalvin Cook. And, I, and you know yep. that I'm very high on Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns this year. So I think they get over their nine-and-a-half win total. They have the potential to be an 11- or 12-win football team and maybe steal the show at 18-1. to one. I would keep an eye on the Jacksonville Jaguars just from a value perspective as well because the Jags are the odds-on favorite to win the AFC South because of how weak the division is expected to be. Of course, if Jacksonville wins their division, they will host a playoff game where they won a playoff game last year in dramatic come-from-behind fashion in Duval County. Another year of experience for Trevor Lawrence under the tutelage of Doug Peterson. If you're going to host a playoff game come January, the path is certainly there that you should have a better than eighth best price at 14-1 to to win the AFC Championship, in my estimation, at least maybe a cash-out or hedging-out opportunity by the time we come to mid-January. Again, we mentioned it. The Bengals moving back slightly. 5-1 to for most of this offseason. Now plus 550. Only 50 cents, but it could be a considerable 50 cents. Lisi, the football world collectively held their breath on Thursday afternoon when we got video out of Bengals training camp of Joe Burrow pulling up limp from a non-contact injury, and he went down and immediately held his lower right calf area around the Achilles. The Bengals confirmed after practice it was a right calf strain, but Burrow is expected to miss a good majority now of the rest of camp and this preseason in 2023. The Bengals team Twitter saying, stop sending us your calves, we're good. I say Cincinnati send even more right calves, I might throw mine in the mail as well Lisi guy what is your level of concern around joe burrow getting ready for 2023 well i believe the team and say that it is a strain i mean my concern is that they rush him back too early i would rather him see and miss two or three games in september than as opposed to half the regular season if they rush him out there and he tears it because then it's over all right you know the the ability to plant and the ability to step in into throws is where the camp is a concern, right? Especially since they utilize him at times in terms of, you know, RPO and the ability to break contain on the edge. He's not going to do any yep. type of running unless that camp is 100%. So that is the concern for me. Let's take a wait-and-see approach. Let's not rush him back, even if he's not ready week one or week two. Let's make sure he's 100% ready heading into the month of October. We're not sure what his availability is going to be when the regular season comes around, but it will be interesting, Lisi, to follow that. Joe Burrow hasn't really had a ton of action in preseason games throughout his NFL career, about to enter year number four. It really hasn't slowed down the Bengals in the past two years, of course, playing for an AFC championship each of the past two seasons, victorious in that AFC title, a Super Bowl appearance in 2021. The Bengals open with a divisional rivalry in Cleveland against the Browns on the opening Sunday of the National Football League regular season. Right now, Cincy only a point-and-a-half favorite on the road. Lisi, we call you Cleveland Joe now. What do you think you will learn from this week one matchup between the Bengals and the Browns? 
Well, that this is going to be a highly competitive division because I do think it's the potentially two best teams within that division entering week number one. If Burrow does play, I already came out and said, I'm already out on the 47.5 total. I think Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow light it up. I would lean to Cincinnati with the short number on the road, but I think it's points of plenty. I think from the totals aspect, that has the potential to be the highest scoring game week number one if Burrow does in fact play. The over-under is currently 47 and a half. The highest total for week one is 54 and a hook for the debut game of the year. Just about six weeks from tomorrow in Kansas City, it's the Chiefs and the Lions. Maybe only five weeks. Eh, I'll get to that. Yeah, I think it's just five (laughs) weeks away from tomorrow in Kansas City between the Chiefs and the Lions. 54 and a hook for a total, and the line has worked to the Chiefs' favor as well. They're now favored by a full touchdown at seven. We see the AFC North is expected to be competitive as well, really the division representative of the conference as a whole. The Bengals have won it each of the past two years. They're still the favorites, but the market has moved slightly following the injury concern around Joe Burrow late last week. Plus 150 for the Bengals, plus 220 for the Ravens, plus 380 for the Browns, plus 470 for the Steelers. Lisi, all four of these teams within three and a half dollars of each other. What does that show you about this AFC North championship race in 2023? Black and blue division, right? It used to be the NFC North, and now it's the AFC North. But I tell you what, those two teams that are at the bottom in terms of Cleveland Mm. and Pittsburgh, have the potential. I mean, if you can get Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin at plus 470, almost 5-1, to that is great value with Kenny Pickett in year number two. And the same thing for me with Deshaun Watson and Cleveland. I think the thing that stands out for me is everybody looks at the rushing attack for Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, and rightfully so. But Nick Chubb and that offensive line, can make some way, not just in the regular season, but in a playoff type of atmosphere. So keep an eye out for Cleveland this year. Do not sleep on the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is about to be the 17th year with Mike Tomlin as the head coach in Pittsburgh. In his previous 16, they have never won less than eight games. The win total for the Steelers, eight and a half. Never a losing season for the Steelers with Tomlin at the helm, the over has the pretty heavy juice at eight and a half for Pittsburgh this upcoming year. Year number two of Kenny Pickett. George Pickens looks sensational in camp so far for the Steelers. It's football, Lisi guy. You're the mastermind of the pigskin. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday on the morning after. Uh, anytime, Ben. Love the show. Can you taste it? Football is back, baby. You know I can, Lisi guy. We round out two hours of the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Out two hours together here on a Wednesday on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, and this is the new Sports Grid app, the ultimate sports betting companion app now available for download at the Apple App Store. Scan the QR code on your screen. In a matter of moments, you will have all of our information, all of our insight, all of our data in the palm of your hand. You can become a better sports better. You can become a more engaged sports fan. It is smarter to be on Sports Grid. The Sports Grid app has five-star plays, best bets, 
so to say, each and every day in your favorite sport, in your favorite league, for your favorite team right now, namely in these summer months on Major League Baseball. I will try to also offer up a best bet in the bigs following the trade deadline with a team that might just be getting hot at the right time. So before we say farewell and before we say goodbye, it is time for Bye Bye Bye. Have you noticed what the San Diego Padres have been doing as of late? They were not sellers at the deadline. In fact, the Padres were buyers. Now, San Diego is still below 500, two games below 500. The Padres are still five games back of a National League wildcard spot, really far off from where their expectations were entering this season. But they're playing at altitude today, the day following scoring eight runs against the Rockies. Joe Musgrove is on the bump for San Diego. They're a hefty $2.5 favorite on the road at Coors. Altitude is a funny thing. The team total for San Diego today is 6.5. The over has the juice. I'm going to ride the San Diego offense, continuing to get hot and continuing to place the Padres in a better postseason spot. Over 6.5 for the Padres today for their team total against the Rockies in Denver. That does it for this Wednesday, live on the morning after. We're back tomorrow on a Thursday. Football is back tomorrow, too. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk tomorrow.